This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church, located in Mequon, Wisconsin. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please visit our website, myabc.church. What was it like? You remember? What was it like? Not everyone has the same experience when it comes to encountering the gospel and Jesus. There isn't a one-size-fits-all paradigm. For example, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan, spent a year and a half in a state of great agony and depression before he came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Year and a half. Contrast that with the Philippian jailer in Acts 16. He received the gospel message immediately and was baptized right away. People's faith journeys are not all the same, and it's dangerous to standardize Christian experience. However, there is great benefit to studying the various ways in which people come to faith in Christ. That's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at how one person famous Christian came to faith in Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 1. We're going to look at a character who went through a journey to faith in Christ. A different journey than the one John Bunyan had, a different journey than the one the Philippian jailer had. But there was a journey involved, and her experience is, is not to be standardized, but her experience may be helpful to you as you consider your own journey to faith. It may be helpful to you as well as you think about those in your life who may be in the middle of it. Let's take a look. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. 
When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. In looking at Mary's journey to faith, we're going to consider three phases she went through. We're going to explore each of those and see what each of those have to teach us. These are the three phases she went through. She went through phases of curious skepticism, reserved surrender, and joy-filled praise. I'm going to show you how that is. We break down the text here, and we're going to see what each of these have to say to us today. The first is curious skepticism. Okay, so the angel appears to Mary and ticks off five consecutive descriptions of the child she would give birth to. He will be great. He will be called Son of the Most High. He will have the throne of his father David. He will reign forever, and he will establish a kingdom that will never end. Five consecutive descriptions of the the child that she's going to bear. So the angel's message to Mary is that the Messiah, the hero of Israel's story, the one they've been waiting for, the one God said he would use to save the world, that one is breaking into her life. The name Jesus, which the angel says will be the baby's name, is Yeshua in the uh, language of ancient Israel, which means deliverer rescuer, savior. The message the angel delivers to Mary isn't just, pay attention, it's not just that she's going to have a baby through extraordinary means. That's to shrink and flatten out the text. The message the angel delivers is the gospel itself. Mary is being confronted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is breaking into her life. Back up in verse 28, when the angel initially greets Mary, the angel says, greetings to you who are highly favored. This word favored is literally the word grace. It's the word grace. Listen, Mary is not highly regarded because she's an elite human being. She's not receiving the gospel message because she's just a cut above the rest. What makes her special is that God's grace is breaking into her life. The gospel has come to her. To be given the opportunity to hear the gospel message, to be a part of what Jesus is doing, is an act of God's grace alone. Now, that sets the stage for her initial response. Her initial response is, how will this be? Now, this is a very interesting question. The essence of the question involves an intriguing combination of curiosity and skepticism. Curiosity and skepticism. It's helpful to note how she doesn't respond. She does not uh, hear the message from the angel, 
and, and shrug it off as if it's um, some bit of useless Bible trivia. Uh, she doesn't scoff at it. Actually, her, her response to the angel's message to her stands in contrast to Zechariah's response to a similar message in the previous scene. He scoffs at it. She doesn't do that. She doesn't dismiss it without a second thought. So on the one hand, that's not how she's reacting to the, this message of the gospel breaking into her life. Now, on the other hand, on the other hand, she is not saying, well, how wonderful. You've made my day. I was having a rough day until you came and told me all this stuff. That's not how she responds either. It's neither of these reactions. One thing is for sure. It doesn't all make sense to her. The dots are not exactly connecting for Mary. The math is not adding up. But even though it doesn't make complete sense to her, she doesn't close herself off to the angel's message. She remains curious. Though I've been um, pastor here for just 16 months, I can officially confirm that we have people in our church who are in every stage imaginable in their faith journey. In our church. We have people in our church who've been walking with Jesus for decades. And we have people who, in our church who have not crossed the line yet. They're still trying to figure it out. Still trying to sort it out. We have everybody in between. Okay? And I would say that is a very good it's a very good thing that we have, we have the whole spectrum covered. Now, I don't know where you are particularly in your faith journey. I don't know where your loved one is, where your friends are, where your neighbors are, your coworkers are. But let's look at this and, and take it for what it really says. We have in this text one of the most famous Christians of all time, Mary, the mother of Jesus, responding to the gospel message with curious skepticism. So if you are where Mary was, or you know someone who is where Mary was, if you're hearing the gospel message, but maybe the math isn't adding up for you, maybe the dots aren't connecting, I wanna encourage you, it's okay, it's okay. Okay? Being skeptical is, is not a sign that you're heading down a dark road. It's okay if the math's not adding up, if the dots aren't connecting. But let me also encourage you to do what Mary did. What did she do? The math's not adding up, the dots aren't connecting. What did she do? She asked a question. She needs more information. If you are in that place, let me encourage you. This is a great model to follow. Ask questions. Ask questions. Get more information. Okay? She was skeptical, but her skepticism was moderated by her curiosity. And a, a curiosity produced questions. Several years ago, uh, I was introduced to a, a, a businessman in the church I was at. And uh, he, was, he was in this place of curious skepticism. He had no church background whatsoever. He had no religious experience in his past. 
and, uh, and, and he had, through a business contact, had met a gentleman in our church, and this gentleman in our church introduced me to him and, uh, and uh, chatted with him briefly. And it was very clear to me he had some serious, heavy-duty questions and things he wanted to talk about. I would qualify him as a skeptic. The nature of the questions, the nature of the things that, that he wanted to probe were in, in that category. So I said to him, I said, okay, that's fine. It's great, wonderful questions, great things to talk about. <laughs> Will you meet with me? I wanted to see if he's just gonna fire off questions and, and, and recite the things that he's got a problem with, with, with while out, without engaging with me or if he'd be willing to do it. So he agreed to, in fact, <laughs> For four months, every week, 6.30 a.m., Starbucks, we met. Four months, every week, we met 6.30 a.m., and he would always come with his list. He had questions, he had topics. Sometimes we, we would spend the hour talking about one topic and have to pick it up the next week. Some of these are not quickly resolved, they're not easily ironed out. But he committed to it. He was reading with me. We were discussing. He was a curious skeptic. At the end of those four months, uh, we got together in my office, and, and he kind of just paused, and he said, you know what? I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready. More of the dots have connected for me. More of the math is adding up. It's not completely cut and dry, but I'm ready. I prayed with him, and in that moment, he was brought to God through Christ. We need to remember that just because the initial position of the individual is one of curious skepticism doesn't mean God is not at work underneath the surface. He's at work in surprising ways, ways that sometimes you will be shocked at. Curious skepticism. Second, reserve surrender. So at this point in Mary's faith journey, she's a curious skeptic. She asks a question. She asks for more information. And look at the additional information she's given. Luke chapter 1, verses 35 to 37. The angel answered. Okay, you have a question. Great, here's, here's, here's the answer to your question. The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. Now look at how she responds. I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. This isn't exactly an enthusiastic embrace of the angel's message. She's, she's not the child sitting in the math classroom where it just suddenly clicks. Oh, well, thank you. I can get it now. It makes complete sense. This is fantastic. The statement itself doesn't contain excitement. However, it does contain surrender. I'm the Lord's servant. So there's progress. She's gone from asking a question to making a statement of surrender. She's gone from skepticism to some level of trust. But the, the trust, the surrender, contains some reservations as well, maybe a degree of reticence. One pastor tells a story of someone in his church who was in a similar place to this. 
He writes this, some years ago, I spoke to a woman who was coming to church regularly. Though she hadn't been brought up in Christianity, nor had she ever gone to a church before. When I asked her where she was regarding her faith, she answered something like this. I used to think Christianity was ridiculous, but I don't know. In fact, it's dawned on me that the alternatives are even less credible, and I don't have any good reason not to embrace it. Yet I still don't feel it, and I'm scared of what it will mean. Still, here I am. I want this, I just don't know how to receive it. I want this, I just don't know how to receive it. So for the person, if, if you're in this spot, you're in this place of wanting re to receive God's love and grace, but maybe you've got some reservations about it, maybe you're feeling a little bit of hesitation over it, this is encouraging. This is encouraging. There are some strands of Christianity that make it very unsafe for people to express any kind of reticence about Christianity. But even the core characters of the Bible at times were cautious. The core characters of, of the Bible expressed some reservations. So as a church, as a church, we need to encourage people who are in this place of reserved surrender, who want the gospel but aren't sure how it all fits together. We need to create a safe place for people to be able to ask those questions, to get that information, to talk about those tough topics. If you are in that place, or you know someone who's in that place, I would again turn to Mary's example. After the angel left her, this is what the text says. Angel leaves, and then we read this. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Okay, so she's moved from curious skepticism to reserved surrender. It's not all clicking for her, but there's some level of trust. And so what does she do in that place? She seeks out another person who had received some extraordinary news. Elizabeth had just gotten word. She's beyond childbearing years, but she has just gotten word that she's going to give birth to a son. She was in the same place Mary was of asking the question, how can this be? So what does Mary do? She runs to her. She hurries off. Elizabeth must have been in the same place I'm at, asking the question, how can this be? The text says that Mary lived with her for three months. Three months. So if you're in that place, here, here's my suggestion to you. Do what Mary did. Don't isolate. Don't isolate yourself. Find others who share your reticence. Find others who have questions, who are in search of more information. Spend time with them. Find people who want the gospel, maybe aren't sure how all the dots fit and, and how it comes together. Find those people. Let me tell you about some stuff that we have happening next semester that, that you could be a part of. Um, we're going to be offering a class on Sunday mornings, an adult education class on Sunday mornings called How We Got the Bible. Six-week class. For many people, the dots don't connect and the math doesn't add up over the book. Conspiracy theories abound when it comes to how we got the Bible. This is going to be a class that explores that, that digs into the history of it. A follow-up discussion group, reading group discussion group that we're going to launch after that class comes to an end 
is gonna probe the question, how do we know the Bible we have is legit? How do we know the Bible we have is legit? You'll be able to be more of a discussion format than, uh, than a teaching format. But we're gonna have that as well. We're also gonna have a class called Starting Point after Easter. Starting Point is for those who are newer to the Bible, newer to the Christian faith, or maybe people who have been away from the church for a while, who've been away from the Bible for a while. We're gonna offer that class on Sunday mornings as well. And you'll hear more about these as, as those dates get closer. I want our church to create an environment where these kinds of questions and these kinds of topics are safe to ask and safe to talk about. Because even the superstars of the Christian faith didn't come out of the gate rock solid in everything they believed about Jesus. They struggled too. We want to create uh, environments here where people can, can get into community and can talk about those things. Let's look lastly at this last stage that Mary goes, uh, goes to, that's joy-filled praise. She travels quite a distance from verse 38 to 46. She goes from a place of reserved surrender saying, I'm the Lord's servant, may your word to me be fulfilled. She goes there, from there to a place of joy-filled praise saying, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Her camaraderie with Elizabeth in the journey helped move her from a place of reserved surrender to a place of joy-filled praise. The pennies started to drop in her life. Isolation is one reason people get and stay spiritually stuck. Anecdotally, I would recommend to you, no matter where you are in your faith, whether you've been walking with Jesus for two days or two decades, if you feel stuck in your journey with Christ, get in community with other people. Expand your circle. Expand your circle. Pastor John's going to be telling us about a new batch of life groups that we'll be launching in January. If you're stuck, if you're spiritually stuck, you've been in the same place, you feel like you're, you're, you're walking in place, get into a group. Expanding your circle is a great way to get unstuck in your walk with Christ. Mary didn't isolate. She found someone else who was in a similar spot to her. She spent time with her. This was a catalyst in moving Mary from a place of reserved surrender to joy-filled praise. Additionally, this movement teaches us something about the nature of true saving faith. It teaches us something about the nature of true biblical faith. What's important to note here is that biblical faith, true saving faith, always moves beyond mental ascent. And it involves the whole self, mind, will, emotions. Mary was moved to the depths of her being. Biblical faith, true saving faith, never remains purely at the level of knowledge. One of the reasons music and singing play such a central role in the scriptures is due to the nature of two things. The nature of human beings and the nature of true saving faith. One of the reasons music and singing play such a central role in the scriptures is the nature of human beings and the nature of true saving faith. On the one hand, God made us emotive creatures. That is, we express emotion. That's part of being made in the image and likeness of a God who is himself emotive. On the other hand, saving faith isn't a matter of being able to recite Bible facts correctly. 
true saving faith expresses itself with the words, my soul glorifies the Lord. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my savior. The best use of our emotion is in loving God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. And unquestionably, loving God this way, emotively, involves music and singing. The personnel committee was searching for a new worship leader. One of the things I wanted to emphasize was the desire I have to see our congregation be the singingest congregation in the Milwaukee metro area. I want us to be the singingest congregation in the Milwaukee metro area. Why? Not because I'm trying to qualify us for the voice. But because saving faith, true biblical faith, is expressed from the depths of our being. Now in Mary's prayer of praise, there's a sense of wonder and amazement that she would be the recipient of the angel's message, that she would be the recipient of grace. Look up here. One of the challenges we have with Mary is we feel a tremendous distance between what she experiences and what we experience. I think there's more going on here for us to probe and dig for. Despite the uniqueness of Mary's situation, I would contend anyone who is a Christian should be amazed they are a Christian. Keep in mind this word favor, which is replete throughout the story, is the word grace. That's what's happening in Mary's life. God's grace is breaking into her life, and she's responding to it in wonder and amazement. If God has shown you his love and grace, I would say you have grounds to be every bit as surprised as Mary was. We should be shocked that God would give us his grace in spite of our smallness and flaws. Why? Why should we be shocked at that? Becoming a Christian is not like signing up for a gym membership. Becoming a Christian is not about negotiating for spiritual services. Becoming a Christian is something that happens to you, in you, and for you. What was Mary doing when the gospel message broke into her life? Minding her own business. She was not the wizard behind the curtain pulling all the strings to make this stuff happen. She got swept up into it. The whole encounter is framed by God's grace. Becoming a Christian is something that happens to you, in you, and for you. Because this is the nature of Christianity, there should be a sense of wonder and amazement that any of us are Christians. I once heard a pastor preach on this, and he said, he turned to his congregation, he said, look, if you have never, never stood in awe, wonder, and amazement that you are a Christian, you should check to see that you are. There's something appropriate about that. Have you ever pondered in wonder and amazement that you are a Christian? Has that wonder and amazement ever manifested itself in joy-filled praise in your life? ESPN's documentary, The Four Falls of Buffalo, 
recounts the story of the Buffalo Bills four consecutive Super Bowl losses. 1990 to 1993. So if you're not a football fan, I'm sure you've heard of the Super Bowl. The biggest football game on the planet. Okay, picture the same team going to the Super Bowl four years in a row and losing every time. Field goal kicker Scott Norwood would shoulder the greatest weight during the 1990 Super Bowl between the New York Giants and the Buffalo Bills with eight seconds left in the game. Norwood missed a 47-yard field goal that would have won it for them. No one felt more pain than Norwood. Even 20 years, 20 years after his failed attempt, here's how he described his feelings. He said, sorrow, I guess, and disappointment in letting down the teammates that are there on the field of battle with you. I get choked up thinking about it, putting myself back in that situation. But nothing would prepare Norwood for the greeting he would receive in Buffalo the following week. Nearly 30,000 fans gathered to welcome their team back. And as they gathered there, there was a chant that started to erupt. We want Scott. We want Scott. Here's how Norwood described the scene. We got back to town, and I did not know what to expect. What I really wanted to do was just remain behind the scenes. But there was a chant that intensified. I was not expecting to be called to the front like that. I had to speak off the top of my mind real quick, and I think in a sense that's when the truest feelings arise. The documentary shows Scott Norwood taking the mic in his hand, turning to the crowd and saying, I know that I have never felt more loved than I do right now. He was expecting condemnation, but Norwood found a small taste of amazing grace. Scott Norwood's experience should be ours times a million. What prompts joy-filled praise is being surprised by, standing in wonder of God's amazing love and grace. That the living God, the creator of the universe, the one who has no beginning, who gives us each breath we breathe, who sustains the cosmos by his power and will alone, that that God would take an interest in us to send his son Jesus to save us. That should leave us amazed. Has it left you amazed? that produced in you joy-filled praise. We're going to end this service by giving us all an opportunity to do that. To end with a few moments of joy-filled praise responding to God's love and grace, which I hope in your life at some point has brought you to your knees in amazement. And as we do that, let's let our voices go. Let them rip. Let's pray. Gracious God, for those here who are curious about how the dots connect, pray that you give them opportunities and safe places to ask questions and get more information. Thank you, God, that you have brought them to this place of, of hearing the gospel story. So now, Lord, I pray that you would cause the penny to drop 
for those here who are stuck, whatever stage of their journey with Christ they're in, I pray that you would sanction the events in their lives in such a way that they're able to get into community where they can discover, grow, and make progress. For all of us, Father, present to our senses again the miracle it is that any of us are Christians. We so often take take that for granted and, and we think we've contributed more to it than we have. If we belong to you, we have been surprised by your love and grace. So I pray that you would do that again. So that our praises offered to you can be refreshed with joy. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.